0: Hello everybody and welcome back to The Sloppy Lab. This is Bottom of the Beaker, the weekly show about the design ducks and strategy of Keyforge, everybody's favorite unique deck game. I'm JT Russell and here in the lab tonight with two of our very favorite lab workers. Uh, The first one though says he may in the new year consider hanging up that woe and uh, starting the very first modern carbon neutral transportation service. You can book your ride between two not too far apart points in the greater pittsburgh area by calling uh, quick draws rickshaws and mm. uh lock in your introductory pricing of 34.57 for the month of january uh <laughs> <doing> quick draw <laughs> uh
1: that's really setting me up and really outing my business idea but uh, i mean, i thought
0: you were ready are you not ready i know uh, no, uh, no the,
1: the website's not live yet but uh it's okay. I'll I'll make it work. Um, appreciate the intro as always. Good evening. Happy mm-hmm. Wednesday.
0: Happy Wednesday. And I'm checking my notes. Uh, we have our other lab worker is uh, a hawk. Oh wait a oh. minute. Uh, it's I read that wrong. It's a hawk and it's a oh b hawk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, b stands great. for best. Am I right? The best talk. Yes. Yeah. Best. Avi Hawk. How are you? <laughs> yeah. I'm great. How are you guys? <laughs> you know,
2: hanging in there tonight
0: in there different night yeah. same joke you getting tired of that joke we gotta mix it up or are we feeling good about it still i don't know <laughs> i feel great
1: uh, i like it i just right. a few more appearances and he's just gonna like disappear and like throw his headset and just leave <laughs> and we'll i'll just i'll just
2: actually i'll go get a hawk and bring him <laughs> on and sit him in the chair is your wife's no. first initial a no that's too bad it's that was, b it is b, we're, okay. we're both b yeah okay. both b's
1: yeah. and Hawks. that would be the real plot twist is if your wife was a hawk oh uh,
2: yeah it would it would be a good twist
1: well um i don't even know what we would do without you tonight on this one um because <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. uh <laughs> we were we were chatting amongst the team like what did we talk about this week what do we got and you had this great uh great topic for us this evening and i will kind of let you kick it off you had like Pages and pages of notes, like ready for this one, like you were waiting for this to come up,
2: maybe maybe it's just it's just always been there, but I just wanted to talk about uh the the idea of setups and payoffs, and uh so to define that i what I mean by like a setup is that setups are the conditions or situations you create during a game, and payoffs are the benefits or the advantages you gain from those setups, so like a Mario Kart reference. Might be holding the banana behind you for when that red shell comes up, and then boom, that's a payoff. Because that, that's a very defensive block. payoff. But that's a great it's a defensive analogy. payoff. But it's it's a little payoff, you know. It feel it feels like a little payoff, incremental payoff. Uh, and then there's the the bigger payoffs where like you're you're holding that boost for when you want to go cross terrain on the map or something, and it's just like this. It's rough. I, I'm losing my momentum. Boom! I'm right back in it. You're saving it instead of just using it when you can.
1: You know what's what's perfect is when you're you're in first place and you've got a pretty sizable lead and you're holding that banana like right behind you to block that red shell. And then second place person shoots the red shell and it doesn't get you and you win anyway. And they're like, "You're so lucky! Like, how how did that not kill you?" And you're like, "No, I held that for a long time, just like I held that TMTP just for the right moment." <laughs> yeah.
2: Yep. <laughs> yeah, so relating that to Keyforge, there's so many. I feel like Keyforge is just a game of payoffs. Like we know the quintessential cards of TMTP. There's also like interdimensional graft, where you get all the amber when they forge a key, comboing it with a card like Binate Rupture or other ways of juicing it via capture, or uh, or something like that. But that's all like amber related there's also like rant and rive and martian generosity that profits off of having the sting out like all sorts of stuff um that you can get payoffs from in keyforge that is just amber related um that are loved cards to talk about their value like tmtp is a payoff card um but there's also other ways of getting that payoff and some and it's not always like getting the the biggest payoff you can out of it. Sometimes it's incremental. Sometimes it's about um, setting up appropriately, whether it's like by timing it correctly or using some sort of efficiency or disruption to get that payoff. Um, but like I equate like you can get a payoff off of Life Ward by activating it the next turn, but you can get an even bigger payoff when you use Gateway to Dis and follow it up with activating Life Ward. Like that's a bigger payoff. Or, or using control of the week to f- close out the game. Like, you know that's a walk-off. Using a key cheat, that is a payoff, because you're bursting until the right moment to get it. So uh, I just felt like there's a lot of ways we can talk about setups and payoffs, how to use setups effectively, when to abandon them, uh, and when to push for them, like recognizing those situations, and just talking about some of our favorite payoffs, from decks we might know or whatever um and the setups that we found that work best for those payoffs
1: that's really good stuff and um, i'm glad you mentioned uh like those kind of walk-offs like befuddle is one that i have been using a lot lately uh in in games with woe just because that card is worth holding if you play it like a few turns before the end of the game sure you get a ton of value from it but it is such an incredible card to walk off a game with to know that like, okay, when I play this befuddle, the game is over when you're on your third key and you know that you're locking them into a house or out of a house that's the only one that they could use to stop you. Like those kind of payoffs are huge. And so like recognizing the difference in value, like sure, you get value from playing it two turns earlier, but maybe more value if you hold it and chain yourself with it for a few extra turns. And how do you play into that to make sure that you can counter that situation to get that payoff?
2: Right. And I do want to stress, like, these setups and payoffs, they are one and the same with a lot of other concepts that we talk about with Keyforge, like handcrafting or recognizing moments of opportunity. Like with Winds of Exchange, we have a lot of payoffs through incidental board creation. Um, So that suddenly is a crime of opportunity to take advantage of because we're pushing that amber differential further. It's like, hey, yeah, I could use my hand because a lot of us is like, well, yeah, hand plus board, hand plus board. At some point, if you got all of your, your your payoff cards in your hand and you just need to push the line, kick the can down the road a little bit, why not use your board and reap out? Why not push it? Um, but another thing that we can do is we can interact with payoffs and knowing what the setups are on the board that, which with since, I would say, Worlds Collide, board-based setups have become the norm. And a typical normal setup along that amber generation access is utilizing board, right? And so we can recognize the, the board potential. I know I've kicked myself in the foot several times, or I've, I've shot myself in the foot several times. By seeing my opponent's board and seeing this mass of creatures, and then I use like some targeted spot removal... And then I realized, oh no, I just literally spelled out for my opponent, go this house because you'll gain six amber because I've left six creatures of one house on the board instead of mixing it up a little bit and leaving like a two, two, two. So um, that, those are like things where like, hey, you're messing with setups and payoffs, but you also have to recognize that important access, which is amber gain and with that amber potential. Mm.
1: You had mentioned uh, Binate Rupture or International Grafts for each 1, but like it also, this is very relevant for combo decks as well. It's not just like single payoffs, but stuff like Brig where you're trying to set up the Binate Rupture International Graft uh, is also very big. And kind of recognizing when you need to abandon that setup, like you had talked about like understanding when to abandon that, I think is maybe even more important because if we go back to our conversation with Astron from last season about empathy, you can't just sit there singularly focused on setting up your brig because there's going to be a lot of games where your opponent is doing something different to get around that. And you have to realize and recognize when your setup is no longer going to be valid for your win condition and to pivot away from that.
2: Right. So like brig is a perfect example where like it's, you can only get that payoff early, like for key one, maybe key two. Sometimes key two, it's not even worth it, because like letting them forge their second key is dangerous in a lot of cases, especially if you're behind. If you're ahead, it's usually fine, but if you're behind and you're letting them forge their second key just so you can get this huge amber gain, well, if they've got bored and they can get to six, what are you going to do now? So recognizing also you have an ability to interact with that payoff. You read finite rupture IG, you can use uh turn control you can use befuddle. you can use control of the week you can use key cheats so like recognizing uh also like there's abyssal sites so there's little like card interactions also though if you can recognize what they're going to do like they're telegraphing hey i have my payoff in hand uh if you can minimize that amber potential that they could have it by going that house by taking care of creatures on the board or whatever that can also help because it's also incremental advantages at that point. But I love that ability to interact with payoffs. Um, and it's one of the things that I feel like you ha- you want to have a deck that can do that. And that's why I lean so much into like, disruption. Because it's almost like that is the most disruptive way of dealing with that. I mean, you can play around cards like too much to protect, right? It feels like you can play around certain combos. But like when you have Brig in mind, it's almost like it's too much of an amber potential to play around. T- Tmp, it's like okay, I'll go to six or maybe I'll go to seven or eight. But with Brig, it's like I'm at five and suddenly they're at fourteen. Feels bad. So, uh, but there's other ways of recognizing when you should should stop that game plan, right? So, and, and I I've mentioned before of like just going on pause to just use your board and really pushing some other access that maybe you haven't gone before like i just i was playing with one of my decks earlier it's a library access deck that leans on library access to win the game but i found by turn two i had like five shadows creatures on the board and three of them steal and they weren't taking care of it i'm like i guess i'll just do this for now (laughs) like that's fine too so recognizing like this is also just going to win you the game you don't have to do I'll call it a gimmick of doing a big payoff That is might be the reason why you're playing that deck. I've played several library access or combo-related decks and found some other way of winning the game by leaning into what else the deck has. Um, that's not so much having like a setup and a payoff, it's just that I recognize, oh, I'm not going to get the payoff that I thought I could this game, but what what else can I explore with the deck? Um, another one is where like maybe you'll convert a setup or a payoff into you'll so you could set up you could convert a payoff into a setup or a setup into a payoff. Like one of my favorite cards in Woe is Crushing Deep, the one that makes your key your opponent's keys cost plus three for each key they have. So like I find it right around for key two where I'm either taxing them for nine or and, and like they forge for nine. Or I'm able to stall delay a key and it lets me pump out unfathomable and I have my closed door negotiations to follow up. Because like let's say, hey, I'm able to tax, hopefully get to key two, and then I have closed door negotiations. Like that's suddenly converting a payoff card into a setup card. So that's like a fun thing to do as well. Um and then there's also just another reason to abandon is when you're just leaning on it way too much. You guys ever have you guys ever done that before where you're like I'm going to get this payoff. It's like, well, <laughs> I could get more of a payoff. I, I could like just capture more. I can continue to capture, can continue to do this. I'm going to get a huge payoff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when I do mean, you stop?
1: We've we've all done that. I mean, like another example, maybe a simpler one is uh, having Mutagenic Serum out, which is an artifact that lets you pop the artifact, and you can use all your mutants in that turn. SV, SV3 lander, I think, is similar with tokens. And you're thinking like, okay, I can use three of these creatures this turn off house, but next turn I could use five. Maybe I'm just going to wait. And then they just wipe your board and you get no value out of it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, another one is like, oh, well, maybe I'll hold this Brick Nasty or war song because I'm about to have a big board, right? So that feels like, oh, yeah, I'll get this payoff. Or, hey, I have uh, something like Red Alert and Misery Exploits maybe i'll hold misery exploits and then you play red alert and end up wiping the board anyway so like it's just it, those there's these like payoff cards that we that exist in keyforts are all over the place uh but sometimes they're just not worth holding they're not worth doing uh but the ones that are especially dangerous i find are the ones like brig and tmtp where it's like what if they can lock me out of a house what if they can do something to disrupt my payoff and then I'm hosed. Yeah,
0: hmm. you know, I get I get bitten more by trying too hard to push the setup for reactive cards, right? So they're the they're like the big combos that you try and juice for max value. And like we've all gone down, or I've gone down many a rabbit hole trying to make epic quest work. And then he's like, "Well, well, shoot, <laughs> I guess yeah. I didn't quite get there." Um, yeah, but but something like you know, you're sitting on a red alert, trying to goad them into into fill, flooding the board so that you can you can come back with a one-two punch, you know, wipe their board and unleash your star alliance, and they're like, Nope, I'm just gonna run out some pips from from, from Pips some Actions, maybe discard a creature here and there. You get to this point where you realize you've spent an awful lot of your own resources and energy trying to max out a board wipe or a counter punch when, you know, the first punch didn't come for you to counter.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I've I've done that as well. Like I have a deck with double life ward and gateway. And sometimes I'll keep the life wards there and I'm like, I need to do something because he keeps playing creatures and I'm doing other removal but I'm not getting my gateway. You know, I'm not wiping the board for it. Uh, another one is like I have a library access double phase shift deck and it can combo out and um, draw the whole deck and get into a cycle of key hammer and control the weak. But that's literally the only out of hand control I have is key hammer. So that means the the last opportunity I have is after they've just forged their second key. If I wait until like say a turn or two after they forge their second key and I'm like, well, maybe they won't get to six next turn. And I'll, I'll like do something to like archive more cards and get to more in hand to, to maybe pull it off better. It's not, I. it's too late because they'll just get to six and be like, sorry. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. I, there's nothing I could have done there.
1: You either need to set up your board that allows you to have some amber control, or you need to check right away. And Mm -hmm. so I think what you're talking about doing is almost like doing two things at once, where if your opponent is possibly threatening their third key, you want to have the ability to take them off check while also checking yourself for key three. Otherwise yeah. you're really just delaying the inevitable, right?
2: Yeah, that that is definitely a way of playing into your setups is attacking that ability of attacking either a single axis, so like I'll say axis is amber. It's quintessential. Like we always say always be checking or for some other cards always be card discarding, but we'll say always be checking. And the reason why that has so much power is because if you can forge, your opponent has to react to that. Before they can think about advancing their game state or advancing a setup or anything, they they have to react first to your check. And if they can do that and push a setup, that's suddenly doing two things. That's advancing your game plan, and I think that's really powerful. Um, there's so many ways of doing that.
0: Well, this is uh, this is Rector's magic. Not tonight. We're here. She would say, "Yeah, always be always be applying the pressure uh, and forcing them on the back foot," and as a as a chess player, you hawk I'm sure you've heard folks say use the phrase, you know, moving with tempo, right? I'm going to develop mm-hmm. my game plan while also forcing you to spend your resources, not developing your game plan, but instead reacting to what I'm, what I'm doing. And if I can do that, eventually mm-hmm. I'm going to be, you know, building an insurmountable advantage.
2: Yeah, I agree. But there's also, there's other axes of interacting with that, right? So like if we think of set up, not just relating to like board and amber there's also like your hand because that has it's some combination of your hand plus your board that creates these payoffs right there could be a card on the board that you're going to get a payoff out of and it could even be more if you can can combo it with a card in your hand i'll take for example like praetor marius which lets you reap capture amber for each creature to the left that's exhausted it means it can get a lot of amber on it very common card the combo with that is Epic Poem. Yeah, you're getting you're you're not removing the amber like Ludo, but you're getting paid for that amber as well. Which is basically the same in terms of a differential. So, but that's com- combining your hand with your board to create a payoff. And if you can disrupt their hand through Abyssal Sight, through uh, subtle auto or some other or, or some other way of discarding cards out of their hand or doing something through their archives, like Merkins, like ways of disrupting that that ability to access out of hand, also hidden information that you don't know. So you can't really concretely say if it's going to affect it or not, but it's a really cool way of interacting with those payoffs as well. And it's doing two things at once. So like, yeah, you're one, advancing your setup, or maybe it's a big payoff. Like I think of a a big setup card as a Bissell site with befuddle like that's a bit those are that's a setup payoff combination for sure um but you can get more advantages out of interacting with their paths as well yeah i like to think um
1: you know when you're playing against someone and you're trying to like not just set up make your own setups but kind of looking what they're trying to do as well understanding like can they also do two things at once like you have to look at, at their houses And say, like, okay, if they go shadows, sure, like, they could take me off check, but they're not going to do anything else to advance their game state. And Mm. how can I attack that kind of weak point? Or at the same time, maybe they do have a house that can both take you off check and also burst or clear your board or something like that. And so your best line of attack might not be to just kind of put yourself in a situation where they can just go that house and do everything they want to do anyway, and you're set back to zero. So, like understanding what your opponent's trying to do with their deck I think is hugely important here as well and not just kind of walking into like their ability to to just you know fully set the tempo by going to check and taking you off check or wiping the board or you know any number of multiple things they might be able to do at one time
2: yeah yeah so like to your TMTP example very common cards to couple with that would be like Umbra or Yancy Gang like things on the board that can not only take you down to six, but then those other cards can take you below six. Cause sometimes it's like, yeah, you're going to get some advantage, some value out of TMP, TMTP, but at least I'm forging, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, the big advantage is that they're able to get that max Amber generation and take you off check. So if you can recognize that, oh, they only have these two cards that do that. They don't have anything else out of hand that can combo with this card. Sometimes it's just well, I'll pick these two guys off the board so that you can't get that advantage that I care about.
1: Yeah, play, if you're playing like the, we'll we'll keep using the TMTP example, and I feel like we use it a lot because it's pretty relatable. It's um, it is a pretty you know, obviously it's a it's a card you see frequently. I was gonna almost said common card, but it's not a common <laughs> card. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a good way of kind of seeing this conversation and visualizing it because uh you can kind of play into those kind of cards by, like you said, taking out their Umbra or maybe using your Artifact Control and a Skeleton Key whenever they might have something else out, knowing that that Skeleton Key is the only way that they're going to take you off check after a TMTP, things like that. Um, th- those are examples of ways that you can kind of um, sort of prevent your opponent's payoff just by planning ahead and thinking about what else they have in their house. Well, I think that's
0: really where the... I don't know, the like most beautiful key for just played, right? Like where you're not just not just seeing what they've got on board currently, not even just reading their deck list, but you're you're sort of reacting and your opponent is reacting to your sort of projected intentions. They're seeing your setups and it's not even like, yeah, it's a TMTP and now what am I gonna do? It's like I know the TMTP is there, I'm playing around it, and you're playing around me knowing that the TMTP is there playing around it, and you're kind of going back and forth in this dance and uh and creates a lot of like really, really interesting tensions there.
2: Yeah, I think knowing the potential is what's so cool about keyforge and what elevates some of these games so much Mm. more is like um i think sometimes about like hidden deck lists and like sealed and stuff and sure some players will play around the potential of a card being at some rarity in a house that they're seeing from their opponent's cards but knowing that TMTP is in there and they've also got setup cards and all, and like capture or some other way of leaning into that payoff, your ability to try and then interact with it or figure out how your deck can react or live within them getting the payoff to still win. Um, like, I, I have a, like, my Seven Sins deck. One of the quintessential setup cards is Essence Scale, because that's the, the secret or the low key eighth sin because suddenly I'm getting a same turn activation of gluttony or desire or pride or just whatever sin I can get out there I'm getting to the pay off then that I play it and it's hard for them to react to unless they have artifact control but there's also a lot of like good artifacts in that deck so I, like I I played against a double auction off and I got auto encoder purged and library card purged I still had essence scale so I was still fine to do Which my it? big let me play so yeah i'm just like all right well this worked out i'm okay (laughs) um but yeah there's there's lots of like cool little setups that you can do and and there's even little minute ones like if you think about it just having a board is a setup in itself just in general it's a setup because it's something you did turn before or you're doing now to hopefully take advantage of later so um a game is won by the incremental advantages and not one big play. I, I man,
0: I uh, not to get too much into like this one game I played that one time, but uh, uh, your your example there is making me think of uh, of a match that I uh, was uh, playing earlier today. It was hidden deck list, and I I usually do really like seeing the deck list and and nerding about about the potential and going deep on what they have in hand based on the way they're playing and their tells and what have you. Uh, this was against not tonight. In a sloppy sextant match, and she had chosen to include in the sealed triad a deck including Sanctum uh, from a set that does feature Cleansing Wave. And folks uh-huh. should know that she's a big Cleansing Wave fan; like plays lots of Cleansing Wave <laughs> decks. But like, and, and like, she had just played a wipe clear, and I was like, "Oh boy, like here it comes!" Uh, but followed up the wipe wipe clear with another creature, and as much to like KG of a player to like not get that extra amber. Uh, if she was going to do it. And so I was immediately like, yeah, probably no no cleansing wave. So I think there's like a really cool language of setups that you can read into as well if you're if you're in tune to it. And hopefully your opponent isn't uh <laughs> I don't know, pulling one over you as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's really cool though. Cause it is there is telegraphing it's... involved with kind of showing your hand, if you will. And that's why I like I think about the car a card like visible hand, where you're literally revealing your hand to your opponent. And sometimes I'll do it and I'll be like, look, there's a legionary trainer in there. <laughs> and like they'll see that and I'm like, yeah, ignore the market crash. I need to wipe your board that I held on to as they proceed to flood their board because they sell legionary trainer. Uh so it's just like funny things like that where it's like, Yeah, I'm literally showing you my hand, but yeah. what did you pay attention to?
1: Yeah. The telegraphing is really interesting. Like I, I have an example, like a deck that I have, it's another library access combo deck um that tries to set up Uh, a graft or maybe even like a phase shift key hammer graft combo um, some things like that and it has a charrette and a library of the damned in there and so there are some turns where i just like i go dis and i just capture three and i archive a card and that's all i do just to take you Mm -hmm. off check and those kind of plays can definitely telegraph that i have the ig or i am like about to find it and just needed like one more turn maybe or you know biding my time so paying attention to those kind of things about uh what your opponent's trying to do with that can definitely make a difference that's a really astute observation jt about the uh the cleansing wave i was watching that game and i did not pick up on that
0: she's um, always got a cleansing wave it's just like it's like she could be playing logos <laughs> brobnar mars and like and it's like oh you got the maverick cleansing wave
2: like okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's funny uh yeah i think about even classically in like coda days uh, one of my favorite Combos to play with was Double Arise Hecatomb. Mm -hmm. I had like a library card in there and and like some lab work, so I would like actively archive my Arises or Hecatomb because it really has like that big burst potential as my deck thins out, you know. Uh, But like those are all setups. Like that lab work that was a setup to lead to this big play. And uh, but one of the thing I one of the things I really like to combo it with is like uh gateway like Mm -hmm. if i don't have the hecatomb, sometimes doing shuler shuler gateway arise shuler shuler charrette uh what's the night one terror what is it terror Terror? yeah that's just like so much amber in like one turn and then oh by the way i can wipe my board again and then arise them all and play them again like so it's just fun little plays to get that huge amber generation uh comboing it with a card like Russian Guntis also is pretty good. Like Gateway into a rise with Russian Guntis is one of my favorite plays. If you can follow it up with a Shadow Self, it's pretty good. Um, but that doesn't always happen. But those are like those are like dream plays, you yeah. know? Like where oh yeah, I got the I, I was attacking a different axis the whole game. I didn't really care about your amber unless it was scary. And those are just like fun little things that you can explore in Keyforge, I feel like.
1: The restring Guntus potential is like something you really need to pay attention to, though. like I've played some games before where you know i I have this deck that I was talking to j t about right before we went on today was um Ableson of Caringview. And then you know, i I don't need to get into specifics of it, but everyone has a deck like this where you have one house that has all of your armor control. another house has all of your creature control, and another house has like all of your efficiency. And if you face against a Restring Guntus, like I did in a match, Number of months ago, or maybe a year ago, you have to recognize that they're going to call the house that has the creature control. So <laughs> yeah. maybe yep. if you have like a single card of creature control in a different house, and you recognize that they might be setting up this restaurant gun display, maybe you hold that one little tiny piece of creature control just for whenever they might have that payoff come out with a restroom guntos.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you've mentioned that before. Like there's a lot of ways where our houses feel like they only do one, maybe two things. And it's never the the second thing is never what you need at the moment. Right? Like it can do like disruption and board control, but it's not it doesn't have any amber control. Or it does amber control and lots of efficiency, but it doesn't deal with board. Like but there's a way of like leaning on your plays like your setups and your payoffs where suddenly you don't really need it one house to do everything and i feel like it used to be like that like decks only really needed to continue their momentum forward uh and in order to get that to happen they needed to do both they needed to close out the game with the ability to take you off check and getting to check which meant having amber gen and amber control in the same house but with decks now It feels way different. I don't know what it is, if it's Woe or Mass Mutation. (laughs) I think, but Mass Mutation also had a semblance of it because of all the bonus Mm -hmm. pips. Like, all of a sudden, you couldn't measure if a house had capture or not. And understanding now you can, because they released the data on decks to show where the bonus pips lie. But it used to be you'd look at, like, all these blue icons on your Archon card from your opponent and be like, I have no idea which one is is a damage pip and which one's a capture pip where it's going what house i need to look for out for and stuff like that
1: it's worth noting that's a difference between irl and online play online yes you're totally right you can see all those icons you can know exactly where the captures are in real life though you still cannot which yeah is is one of the biggest differences i might say between irl and online play right now
2: yeah totally but even even so there was a period online where you didn't know until you saw the card Mhm. And I still play under that assumption, I guess. I don't take the time sometimes to read where the pips are by going to the link and stuff. No, I don't. Uh yeah. So, I still play under that assumption, I guess. But those 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 abilities of doing two things at once where it matters became so much easier in the m- more recent sets, I feel like.
1: Yeah, thanks Will. Um Equidon does everything.
2: <laughs> Equidon does do everything. It does. It's insane. It
1: I wish they would have taken away like one or two of those axes from Equidon.
2: I can't believe... Yeah, because they also have key cheat. The only house with a key cheat has big amber... The best amber control Mm -hmm. has a good board wipe, several good board wipes. Has... Is it the only R? The only R at common.
1: It might be the only one at common. Yeah,
2: only one at common.
1: And it's the most efficiency. It is the most... I mean... Outside of, outside of your, your beloved Scholar, I know. Okay. <laughs> um, Trainer Scholar, come on. <laughs> the is going to take you to church here in a second. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, can, we can go back to the tape from last week, talking about Woe, to get into more detail on that. But uh, we digress a little bit. I, I forget where.
2: Just the ability to do two things at once, of interacting with the opponent. opponent's ability to one, forge a key, and you're trying to take them off, right? And you can lean on setups and payoffs. What I'm getting at is like there's some ways of doing both, and it's not within the same house. Sometimes it's utilizing something that you've set up
1: so when you guys when you're evaluating decks, whether it's something that you own or something you're thinking about acquiring, do you very closely look at like, okay, well, uh this deck only has C in one house and only has A in another house. Is that like a big factor in your decision and whether or not you really want to give something an extra shot?
2: It's not a conscious decision. Uh, for me anyway definitely do look at it although i've been looking more and
0: more at creature distribution um which is i don't know related but a little bit different um uh like 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 seeing if there's a prominent main house in burst but i i really do want to see ways to deal with board and amber ideally in each of the houses in some way
2: uh i I just look for like a c higher than 12 or 13 mm. usually i feel like any less than that it feels like you're just going to struggle uh almost no matter what else you have in the deck right but if if that
1: 14c comes from three unnatural selections and a diametric charge and that's it then we're not maybe that's a bad example they are not in the same set but you know what i mean like that's a very different 14c than you would have if you had a savage clash a
2: kerzap and a gateway yeah, I I can I can see that like there's a difference between having high C spilled across lots of cards versus board wipes like maybe the, that high C isn't from board wipes but then you have this other deck that has three board wipes like what do I see is better I don't know sometimes I think targeted removal is better it depends on the deck like yeah but I don't know if if it being in a specific house is what I lean on or if I need the house that's doing the C also needs to be able to gain Amber.
1: Right. It needs to be able to do something else. I I definitely do look at this when I'm looking to buy decks where I will say like, okay, like this deck's got the amount of C that I want, but it's all in one house. And so that's usually like, eh, it's a red flag to me. I I might test it out, but I'm probably not going to like it. If I open my own deck, I'm going to try it. If it it looks good, I'm going to try it. Um, So there's a difference in how I approach it, but I, I definitely put a lot of value in having that kind of control whether that's amber or creature in multiple houses like makes a big difference to me when evaluating
2: yeah i think actually now that you mention it the c portion of one of my decks it's like it's good but when i get spartasaur out as like a setup card it's like amazing right because all of a sudden i don't just like it's one of those things where i will delay playing spartasaur if they have the ability to kill it by fighting into it or something Mm -hmm. right I will wait until I have like an ability to kill my own creature in the same turn I play Spartasaur. So a big payoff card I like to see, a uh, setup card I like to see is offering to kill a Gog, um, because then if it's ready, Spartasaur is out. I can whiteboard the turn I play Spartasaur, but if Spartasaur is out, I can then whiteboard in any other house I go. So I can do massive amber generation and whiteboard. Hmm. I can do super disruptive fathom reavers with like abyssal sight and befuddle like i can do all that nonsense and wipe their board like obviously i'd play fathom reavers after i wipe the board but like things like that i've definitely not done that (laughs) at all
1: (laughs) this feels like a a good time for me to bring up one of my own billion dollar plan five dollar yeah totally this is from my nkfl match last week and i was facing a Dark Amber Vault deck where all my opponent's creatures were power five and higher. And most of my C in the deck, I think I had already used a mass buyout or a market crash. I forget which one. And so all I had left after that really was a Crushing Charge and a spartasaur I didn't have the spartasaur yet. And then I, I was just trying to play cards and I thought, like, well, you know, this banner of battle in my hand that gives all of my own creatures power plus one. I was like, <laughs> I said to myself, I should not play this because. If i get the crushing charge i need to make sure i'm killing my own creature and i need to do it the turn that i play the spartasaur right and so knowing that in my deck i had a phalanx leader which is a four power dinosaur and saurian i was like if i play the banner of battle this is going to be a five power and it will not get hit by the crushing charge will not wipe the board and i i recognize this uh i saw the setup of the crushing charge and the spartasaur And I saw the potential payoff for that, and I played the Banner of Battle anyway. And sure enough, as soon as I played it, I drew the Crushing Charge, the Phalanx Leader, and the Spartasaur. Oh, man. And it was just a turn too late to wipe the board. Um, I don't know if it would have swung the game for me, but it was very much a blunder that I saw coming, I should have seen coming.
2: You you did see it coming and you didn't act to mitigate it. Yeah. I did
1: not act to mitigate but it.
0: Plus yeah. one power, yummy over <laughs> overrode. Over I was like, plans. this is
1: great. All my creatures are plus <laughs> one power. What could be bad about that,
2: right? Yeah. No, totally. I mean, I've gotten into that state as well. I have a deck um, with Banner of Battle and Auto Cannon, and I can only play the Auto Cannon if I've played Banner of Battle because I have Scholar for my token and so much token generation with like Double Trainer or something. And I I remembered getting it, and I thought, yeah, he's got R. He'd probably take care of auto cannon, right? And then I play <laughs> both. Next turn, he just auction offs my banner, and then I realize my blunder. I'm like, no, <laughs> man, I just nuked my deck.
1: <laughs> this is this is really relevant too, though. Like. We have to play these decks a number of times to recognize, like that Banner of Battle is a bad card for me, right? Like or yeah. autocannon I mean, in your case, it's I think it's pretty clear that Auto Cannon with Scholar is not a good, not a good plan. But um, it, I think it goes for anyone though. That, like it takes practice to understand what setups and payoffs are going to work for your deck. Just because you open yeah. a deck with Binary Rupture and international Graph doesn't mean that that's going to work or that's going to be that deck's win condition. It just takes practice and working with it and seeing what the deck's doing and. How it's able to support that setup and payoff.
0: Maybe the next question then is how actively are you thinking about these during the game? Are you like constantly steering towards them? Or do you have like do you think of it as more like smaller, smaller setups and payoffs that you are maybe being a little bit more like opportunistic with? I definitely have gone into a lot of NKFL seasons, right, where all six of my decks Are like borderline gimmicky like there's one really big setup payoff combination that it's trying to do and i get into a situation where Mm. like they have the tools now to like disrupt all of my gimmicks and i have to figure out what to do that is not the big setup payoff combo um, that my deck really wants to do and that can be problematic Um, on the other hand there are there are definitely like more more small you know small incremental ones that aren't necessarily like the first line about your desk description when you're like writing the ad copy, you know, it's not like, not like the brig, con- the double brig, or the Martian generosity key abduction, right? It's just like, yeah, I, I have a, I don't know, spartosaur, and then when I do offering the gog, it wipes everything. Although maybe that is, maybe that is the, the headline. I'm not sure.
2: No, like, like the headline maybe is like that. It just does a lot of things pretty well, and it's like a buildup of minute payoffs, like, mine up minor setups all throughout the game where i continue to try and recognize my next payoff
1: i think those like those smaller payoffs are the ones that are really relatable to everybody because not everybody plays combo decks not everyone plays like these tmtp you know setup decks there's there's like you mentioned earlier B-Hawk, like sometimes making a board is a setup and a payoff you know like i've had so many games where my opponent has like a board of five creatures out and then I'm just thrilled that the next turn, they just call a different house and don't even reap. And I'm like, this is, that's fantastic. And so like even little things like that that happen almost every game, you know, we should just try to take note and, and try to recognize the payoffs that are right in front of you.
2: Yeah, there's always, it's crimes of opportunity, right?
0: There's always going to be little payoffs. But yeah, it cuts both ways too. Like, and uh, I think you have to be kind of aware of some of the the layers of setups, if you will. Um, like if I have a board of, Five or six creatures and i'm like reaping out playing one card maybe maybe two max a turn you have to know that there's a well-crafted hand backing my my current uh, payoff that i'm milking currently right like it, when i have when when i see your one board wipe come down to deal with my my you know four to six creatures and then i get to unload the next wave that's that's not a bad feeling either i mean there are definitely situations where it's more correct to hold that wipe fight off two or three and and wait for them to commit to the next wave as opposed to as opposed to just, you know, milking the dregs of their of their previous wave.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. You want to take advantage of the payoffs where where they occur. And sometimes it's measuring your payoffs and sometimes it's like, well, I have my payoff. How can I milk it? So like if you have a handful of creatures in one house and you still got a board, sometimes you like, I'm just gonna use my board until it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. not to. And that can do a lot. I, I like um, to use Sophomore, Dirk, Zental Raisin, my trainer, scholar Gentle deck Raisin. that has Zental Raisin <laughs> with an X. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a weird name, but it's got Triple Fathom Reaver. And my favorite time is when I see my hand, my opponent's hand is down to three. Like, I'm just like, this is a good game. Like, not only am I <laughs> am I going to be able to just push my agenda forward, but you only have three cards to try and deal with this, man, that's rough. It's you rough out here for you. do love your disruption. I do. I, I lean into those a lot. And it's because I feel like I'm getting more payoff then, right? Their ability to set up and payoff is gone if they're down to three cards. I just feel like it's hard for them to do. It's hard for them to get established again. So when I see those crimes, I don't. I don't feel bad. That's what my deck really leans into. Is just dealing with whatever threats they have and pushing my agenda forward. B-Hawk so. and I are
0: uh, kindred spirits in the negative play experience decks. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't know. It's been since Coda. I don't know what. I'm not a blue player, but I've always been like a blue red like is it player where I'm like trying to kiln fiend mm-hmm. popper like kill you in one turn sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But
1: I think it's a sloppy lab work thing because now in stereo is the same yeah. way, too. His is decks they? are they're they're so frustrating to play against. <laughs> um yeah. there, there's some disruption but they're more like sometimes they're just combo in a way that's just like you know lots of recursion lots of house cheating uh he does have like a really powerful uh guntas deck that ha- that gets the Guntus back a lot does a great job setting up the payoff of the Guntus. um it, it's just yeah i think it's a it's a team thing i, I play some disruption um, I've been in, enjoying it a bit more I think and now in stereo and I uh, years ago at this point which is crazy to think about we uh, back whenever you could use I think it was the crucible tracker to like kind of rate your own cards mm. yep. and mm-hmm. we we looked for decks with specifically a specific type of disruption and we came up with the term doomies for those as ways of just like instead of you know doing everything you can to like play zoomies and just play as many cards as possible you're doing everything you can to re- the number of cards your opponent can play as possible and um we got a nice system set up through i think worlds collide um where you know we could kind of find these decks that were out there um it was pretty cool and we both enjoyed that kind of style of disruption so i yeah i, th- I think it's a team thing
2: it, it feels like it's an invisible payoff sometimes right because it's a payoff you don't necessarily see and mm-hmm. by you not seeing it it's hard to put it into substance what the payoff is
1: we both thought that it was very overlooked at the time as well because like not a lot of people were talking about these decks that's how i found stitch of zeoscar which is my like 46 Saz coda deck that is one of my favorites it has triple toxin a succubus uh two ember imps and a rise, and it has ways of using the toxins in every house so that oh, you can cool. use inspiration and constantly discard cards you can put a brainstem antenna on it for a little bit of value there's a commander Ramil, and so your setup there is just getting your toxins on the board and helping them survive. Maybe that's like a hysteria to get rid of their creatures, or maybe you are like discarding all of their creatures, their creature control from their hand. But you're right; like it's an invisible, it's an invisible benefit where you know they are only like having three cards in their hand at a time, and you can't really see how hard they are like trying to find their answers for it. Um, so, like, people don't think, like, okay, that won me the game, but maybe it did sometimes. And uh, Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, but...
2: sometimes, like, the invisible benefit of chains as well, right? Like, you don't really feel that sometimes until it's like, oh, if I had drawn one more card, this would mm-hmm. have been my board wipe sort of thing, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just interesting that you can find your setups rather through all these places and get the payoff, and sometimes you don't feel it. But it is, like, it's attacking that axis, uh That interacts with the game, and hand has pips, it has creature potential it has setup potential it has payoff potential, so it makes sense that it's a key area to focus on Archives also is another one although if if your opponent recognizes that you have a lot of archive hate, maybe they'll archive junk, hmm. but usually we look at archives as like that's my safe space yeah, um, I played against somebody who has like like. One of the cards that is it Banish that puts it into the archives yep. mm-hmm. in AOA, they had like double or triple Banish and like triple Exhume. It was an Alliance deck. And then they had Merkins, like Goldmore. <laughs> they were just like putting all of like my good stuff in and then playing it. I was like, it Sounds wow. like a Coruami deck. Like a <laughs> yeah, it was a cool one. I was like, ah, all right, this is cool. they a cool deck.
1: That's the kind of fun stuff with Alliance that I, I wish
2: it was instead yeah. of what it is
1: because <laughs> that kind of stuff is fun
2: my alliance i get a cool payoff by seeing their hand size down to two sometimes because <laughs> i've got double abyssal sight double sunk cost and then a fathom reaver or something and i'm just like wow your hand it's so small <laughs> so <laughs> yeah and it was like i well i was gonna play but uh, i guess i'll just uh pass <laughs> like
0: <laughs> Flick my two-hand, you know, my two-card hand back and forth. It's much less annoying when I do with just two cards.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I feel like, I mean, set of payoffs, I feel like there's a lot of depth behind it, and you have the ability to recognize how to maximize your payoff, choosing whatever it is, finding a way to get payoffs off of cards. I mean, we talk about having cards in general, save the pack, we typically associate with being a bad card. But it has a payoff, has the ability to wipe a board, especially if you're playing a deck with a bunch of, like, little ping damage and what, whatever you call it. Mm. They're everywhere with save the yeah. pack. Suddenly it becomes a combo card. Like, but there's ways of, like, getting payoffs off of most every card.
1: And recognizing when to hold those and when not to. Like, we talked, uh, uh, I think it was two weeks ago at this point, Lenticular Design episode, where, you know, new players might encounter a card that does something. But it's so situational and they're thinking like i'm gonna hold this for the right situation and then they never encounter that situation and think well this is stupid you know like this card's terrible or uh i I maybe even maybe they don't even like the game because like well you know this card was supposed to do something it didn't do anything and one of the ones that i was thinking of earlier when you asked us about like cards that you're trying to constantly set up and get to work and life web is that for me like life web is one where you're like man this payoff is huge if i can get this And it just so rarely works unless you have very specific setup for it. Um, So, yeah, those kind of cards, they're they're pretty tough.
2: It is, but, but there's so many. We constantly, we know at some point you filter out payoffs, right? You just filter them out. You figure out what is important to focus on, what we need to discard, what we can lean into, what we can maybe project or not project by doing certain things. I feel like there's a lot we consciously do but maybe we don't really recognize it as a payoff and sometimes it's evaluating like i i i have this really complex situation where i have to measure whether i should play this creature like like in your case it's like playing your artifact your banner of battle that is a measured payoff that you're trying to get but sometimes playing that creature prevents you from doing something like i have pull-up stakes i'm like well I have pull-up stakes and I have this creature out, I definitely don't want it shuffled back and I need it to stay out. So do I either hold that creature until after I've played pull-up stakes or do I play pull-up stakes and just let it get shuffled in and just don't get the pe- the benefit out of it? So uh, th- those are all sorts of things you, you measure against, like how am I getting more advantage out of playing or not playing this card than my opponent does. Sometimes playing Hysteria against a deck that has... 12 mutants in it and they have dav out isn't a smart idea It's like a temporary solace before they draw their deck so there, there's definitely ways also that maybe we haven't talked about where like you can help your opponent's game plan maybe without knowing it but maybe you should have a little more empathy to recognize what those could be
1: mm-hmm. yeah it all goes back to that empathy episode Sh- shameless self-plug i mean that was a good one and it's it's very relatable, very relevant to like a lot of the stuff that we've talked about since then. And and I'm I'm no longer surprised at how often we talk about a different topic and be like, oh yeah, well if you had some empathy, then this would this would go a long way here.
2: Yeah, it, and it's also surprising that the idea of this episode got greenlit because it just seems so basically cooked into the ingredients of KeyForge. Like yeah, of course there's payoffs. We've we've done an episode on this, right?
1: But sometimes there are things that like we just need to actively think about. Like, yeah, it's like second nature in how you you do setups and payoffs, but actively thinking about it and understanding when you need to abandon it, now, like just having this conversation right now, I think it helps you think about it in a potentially different light that might make you play a little bit better.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think ho- hopefully it brings some like flexibility to your game. Because you're not just playing it one-sided. You're not just playing your deck the same way you've always played it. Maybe you'll start looking for other payoffs with that term and recognizing a payoff and recognizing how I how can I better set this up? Not just with a game plan, but turn to turn. What cards are presenting me with opportunities to help a setup? And eat, looking at each card potentially as a payoff or a setup card, which one does more for me? And how can I use that to interact with what my opponent's doing as well? I feel like in a lot of ways it lets you play against most any deck, yeah, I mean the concept
0: is uh is very related to things like yeah we've we've heard I think Karen say uh, all the costs in key Forge are opportunity costs and if you can if you can recognize where those lie and how to kind of maximize your captured opportunities while minimizing your opponents i mean there's there's a whole lot of power in that You hear folks say, well, play to your outs, maybe that Maybe that save the pack is your critical board wipe and you should be very mindful of leaving your opponent's damaged creatures and and throwing some of your useless ones into their hard to remove duders um, when you can, uh, just so that your one out uh, comes up as an out and not as a discard, right? When it, when it finally arrives. I like to think too of, uh, you know, your example of, uh, you know, <laughs> the opponent with two cards in hand, you're almost like taking, taking the money out of their pocket their ability to, to downpay some of those setups. Mm-hmm. You got
1: anything yeah. in conclusion, Beehawk, or is
2: that... I think, I mean, you want to highlight something about decks and their ability to interact with payoffs and having setups is, like, highlight decks with interactivity. Like, I like playing on multiple axes and maybe lean into a little disruption, lean into an ability of having amber control, creature control. All of these are interactable but the number one is usually amber, but there's lots of ways of of interacting with decks and set up some payoffs that most any deck can do. I know we get sad when we see like a deck with low A. There's other ways of doing it. And uh I think you can also look at Amber potential, so like creature control as being pretty important. Um but any if you can control it from any house, there's of course like a payoff at just without really having to do much setup, right? We talk a lot about like setups and payoffs, sometimes being across turns, but if but same-turn setups and payoffs are going to always be good. It's about how can you recognize other decks that don't have that, that can still find their payoffs.
0: I will say I'm having a, a very hard time getting behind decks, like Archon-level decks that don't have some level of disruption these days. I like want to have something to say on that yeah. axis. On that axis of interaction, and that could be that could be threats, as it doesn't have to be like a card that shows up as D on decks of keyforge. It yeah. could be yeah threats that require reactive reaction from the opponent.
2: Reaction is the key thing. That, like you want something that you can react to threats and you present them. That's pushing that pressure forward. Uh, just stay flexible, adapt, and uh, hopefully thinking about the next payoff can help you win your next game.
0: Well said. I think with that, maybe we'll get a word from our sponsor in. Uh, this is a funky one, but I'll tell you why it's funky if you stick around uh, for the game afterwards. <laughs> uh, this episode of Bottom Beaker uh, is sponsored by Quintrino Floss. Uh, introducing Quintrino Floss, the five star dental delight for a pristine, symphony worthy smile, with its interwoven threads conducting a seamless dental performance. This floss is your daily crescendo against plaque and gingivitis. Let Quintrino floss take the lead, harmonizing your oral care routine with precision and flair. Don't settle for a dental solo. Join the Quintrino ensemble and ensure your teeth are always in tune. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much, Quintrino floss, Uh, friends of the show and patrons of the game bottom of the beaker is filmed live right here twitch.tv slash sloppy on wednesday evenings at 9 30 eastern time you can find recordings of our packed shows and archives of other streams over at youtube.com we're at sloppy lab over there uh, for the very best content uh 34 uh no 57 times distilled and scraped from the bottom beaker you can search for that very phrase in your podcatcher of choice and uh we'll be there setting it up for the big old payoff for you all that and more at Uh Thanks so much to the one and only, the Beehawk hawk uh, for joining us. Yeah, it's good to be here. Absolutely. And uh, quick draw. got any words for the folks getting off of the final audio stuff?
1: Thanks as well to B-Hawk. Appreciate it as always. And everyone else out there, stay sloppy.